0: This is Monstras. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monstras. I'm Brenda.
1: And I'm Orchidia. Yes. Uh, yes, I am.
0: I can prove it. I'm looking at her via Skype.
1: (laughs) That's right. I am not an imposter. Uh, So in today's episode, we will be talking about the first episode of the series Penny Dreadful City of Angels that just came out um, a month ago.
0: right? Yeah. Uh, Not that far. Uh, Not that long ago because they only have a couple episodes up and out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been about a month or so ago. Um, We were interested in it because it takes place in L.A., there's a heavy latino presence and they include la santa muerte so we obviously wanted to do something on it we were going to focus on the first episode uh and we're going to do first a a scene by scene breakdown and then go into a little bit of the analysis and historical context so brenda what do you have for us
0: so (laughs) i just Hmm? basically um the way we will structure this today too is as we we won't go through into detail about every scene also, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about this and if you want to go see it, go watch the episode and then you can hear our commentary or, or find out if you should spend time on this series from us. So we, we will give our recommendation at the end. But so let's dive in and go into the opening of the show. So the screen goes black, a woman starts speaking, and this is what she says. There will come a time... When the world is ready for me, when nation will battle nation, when race will devour race, and when brother will kill brother, until not a soul is left, are you ready? That was my dramatic reading. What do you think? That was very
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> that was very dramatic.
0: <laughs> I wanted to be as dramatic. They I didn't even know if she was as dramatic as that, right?
1: I think she was pretty dramatic. Okay, they were great. pretty dramatic. I, I was rolling my eyes already, but that's just <laughs> me.
0: <laughs> so we'll so, so do kind of a, a more in-depth scene. I just wanted to do the opening, honestly.
1: I know. So we're switching roles. Usually do you do the scene by scene, but I think because we wanted to keep the scene by scene short, and now it's tasks to me to do it because <laughs> I don't go into as much detail as you. Hopefully people don't get mad at us because they really love the scene by scene but
0: okay yeah but we didn't want to do a whole like it, it was gonna be too long I I, I do too much detail <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the people love it <laughs> after the opening we cut to people picking crops on a sunny day and in the background you have the song of La Llorona playing
0: which I love that song that's such a good I song. I love that song too.
1: It is a good song. I just have issues. We'll talk about it later. I have issues with it. So then we see two women, one in white with crown of skulls. And it's a really amazing outfit. Like the, the crown of skulls is really cool. It's gold. And she's wearing the white lace. And another one all in black, arguing about stuff. And the one in black is like all leather, which seems yeah. ridiculous in the heat.
0: Yeah. I was like, is she boiling in that? Like, geez, <laughs> I did not want to. And at this point, I also kind of, Zoned out a little and wasn't sure what they were talking about.
1: <laughs> they were just talking about humanity and our souls, you know, minor stuff. Unimportant. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't matter.
1: Yeah. So then we find out they're sisters and the woman in black ends the conversation by telling the sister, um, the woman in white, that she's going to give her lots of souls today. And then she proceeds to dramatically walk through the, the fields and set the fields on fire. So. So that was really cool.
0: It was a cool scene, like she kind of dramatically starts slow mowing, walking around these fields uh, as fire kind of erupts around her. And, but in my head, I was like, you know, this episode is interesting, or this series is interesting to me because I grew up in LA and I, I've grown up in California. I live in California, I've lived in California all my life. And the first thing that came to mind was like, where the hell did this fire come from? <laughs> like it overtook people so quickly, and came out of nowhere.
1: But I mean, isn't California like highly flammable? Isn't it always on fire?
0: It's very on fire, but it's not that <laughs> flammable. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that it just literally they're one minute they're picking, you know, crops and all this stuff. And all of a sudden there's just a fireball that just explodes and just overtakes everyone. Like that doesn't make any sense. You usually see the fire coming.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, they did not see the fire coming. It was a pretty <laughs> intense scene. <laughs> It, it it was really dramatic because like you see the father and son kind of bonding bonding over the song the the song the La Llorona song and then when the fire starts the father catches on fire and starts to burn and the little boy runs and tries to help him um and at that point the woman in white is cradling uh the father kind of like a a pieta scene so like the when the Virgin Mary is holding Jesus in that you know pose yeah so it looks like that and the the boy the His son is running over trying to help him and she just puts her hand out and pushes him away.
0: We know that the woman in white is Santa Muerte, and it's confusing to me who Magda is from everything that I know about Santa Muerte. I didn't know she had a sister. (laughs) You know? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we'll talk about that later. But I wanted to kind of go over the a character breakdown before we go any further. So we're introduced to these characters uh, especially right at the beginning uh, at this uh, next scene after the opening. So the first character is Santiago or Tiago, aka Tiago Vega. He's the main character uh, and he's the detective. But we also have his mother, mother Maria Vega, uh, who's the ma- matriarch of the Vega family. We have Josefina Vega, who is the youngest child of the Vega family. We have Mateo Vega, who's Tiago's uh, younger brother. And then we have Raul Vega, who's the oldest son. And you know he's the oldest because he has streaks of white hair. Doesn't <laughs> he's he, very right? Handsome. He, he is. is very handsome, too. <laughs> uh, then we have Lewis, who is Tiago's partner. Uh, then we have, obviously, Magda. We have Santa Muerte. And then we have this guy called Charlton Townsend, which is like the whitest name they could have picked <laughs> for this guy. And he's a councilman, and we'll, we'll learn more about him in a, in a bit. Let's get into the next scene.
1: So what do we cut to? So the next scene... Um... They go into a birthday party, which is Yay. kind of abrupt, but whatever. Uh, it's obviously years later, and it's uh, Santiago's birthday. So Santiago, the young boy who watched his father die, has grown up. Um, they're having a birthday party for him, and they're also celebrating the fact that Tiago is now the detective uh, for L.A. County. Um, he's the first Chicano detective, and they're they're talking about that, and the, the mom's super, super proud of him. Um uh, so in this scene, we see Tiago with Raúl, who seems a little jealous of him. Um, and they argue back and forth, like Raúl almost calling him a sellout for working for the government and the police, which is understandable. Um, but in the end, they both celebrate. And then, of course, they do shots. Uh, so um, they, uh, Tiago and his mom kind of take a break and they're walking around their neighborhood Um and mom, the mom's walking him to his bus stop so he can go back home. And they stop by this empty lot full of bulldozers and other machines and they have a conversation there.
0: The other yeah. thing we should say, too, is the time period.
1: Oh, so right now we're in 1938.
0: Okay. I was like, which year was this? I know it was the 1930s. I just wasn't sure which. So this is about not that far removed from the Great Depression, actually.
1: Yeah. And they, and they kind of reference the Great Depression, and they reference, and we'll touch on it briefly, they reference uh, the coming of World War II. And they don't call it the World, World, World War II, obviously, because it's not quite there yet, but that conflict in Europe, they reference that as well. Um, mm. So then we cut to the scene, Tiago's in bed, he's asleep, um, you know, sleeping away all the shots, and he gets a phone call <laughs> There's a crime scene he has to go to. So he and his partner, Lewis go to a crime scene in the L.A. River where they find four bodies laying in the shape of a cross um, in the middle of the river.
0: It's kind of a cool formation, I thought. It was yeah. cool. I liked it. Uh, but I wanted to go over some L.A. River facts here. L.A. River fact one. My dog almost drowned in the L.A. River once.
1: <laughs> that's a, That's... That's a, an important fact for everybody to know. Yes. Brenda's dog almost drowned there. He, he didn't.
0: Almost, he he didn't. My dad. My dad used to go uh, walk the dogs a lot of the times, and he would go. He I guess one time he walked into the LA River because most of the t- year it's it's empty. Most of the year it's mm-hmm. like it's literally just a little trickle in the middle of the river. Uh and so I guess my my dog decided to jump in there and couldn't get out because it is a horrible river and there's no way for him. <laughs> To have climbed out of it and so my dad had to come over and like drag him and so my dad comes home and he's like haha so the dog almost died <laughs> i was like what
1: i love your dad
0: <laughs> so, he's so nuts anyway it also
1: sounds like your dog almost dr- drowned in a puddle like you yes! found the one spot with water
0: <laughs> that's literally like the la river is not deep in any sort of way so i was very surprised <laughs> he almost drowned all right LA River fact number two. So the river actually flooded often, which is why in 1938, when this takes place, they actually began paving it. It flooded so badly in this year that they actually recalled the LA mayor at the time.
1: <laughs> I wish we could do that now with some of our government officials.
0: <laughs> I know, right? LA River fact number three. The native people who relied on this river were called the Tongva people or are called the Tongva people I should say I'm sure they're still around and last and final final and most important river fact is that it's ugly oh my god this river is ugly I don't know if anyone out there has seen it or has been to it but if you've never been to LA google it it's such an ugly river but it's in every
1: like I feel like every movie that takes place in LA or even when it doesn't a lot of like wasn't like Terminator one of those shot in there shot there Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a big cinematic space. It makes sense that they would do it there for numerous reasons. Like it's visually interesting, but also it's like historically important. Um, anyway, so in, in the river, we see the four dead bodies laying out um, with their feet facing each other. And then as they pull the blankets off of the people... They see that the face is painted like Day of the Dead style with like um, circles around the eyes, black and red and things like that. Um, Their chest is cut open. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, their heart's taken out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You're like, I know exactly what that means.
1: Exactly. Um, Their throat is slit and their mouth is slit um, and their bodies are surrounded by red rose petals.
0: And at this point, I yelled, cool. Because I thought the the way the bodies looked were so cool, but I said this out loud to no one. To an empty room. I did
1: the same though. I, I was I was really happy. This is like a really like it was a a good death space.
0: Yeah. I, I like, thought oh, it was
1: nice, yeah.
0: Yeah. It was a really cool, like, looking crime scene. Yeah. That's the word. Crime scene, not death space. Yeah, what I was like, death space? I didn't even question it. I just went, I just moved forward.
1: <laughs> okay, so there's some construction outside.
0: Yeah, I barely, I heard some of it, but but everything else, sounds it sounds fine now.
1: Okay. So the whole crime scene looks very ritualistic. Um, the areas around the eyes, like we said, are jewel-encrusted. Like, it's very detailed. And then uh, the detectives, Luis and Tiago, walk down the river and on the wall, someone wrote, Te llevas with blood. Of course, te llevas of nuestro course. corazón, tomamos el tuyo, which is really good. Um, and Luis goes, "Oh, I know now. I know why they called us. This is a spick thing." And Diego's uh-huh. face just goes, "How dare you!" <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome.
0: Yeah, I thought it was so funny because I thought the reaction to seeing these bodies because they are terribly mutilated. They're not. Yeah, you know, they're not. Uh, Subtle in their mutilation, I should say. So I thought the reactions to the murders were kind of subdued. I thought they'd be more shocked. I thought there would be more like vomiting, you know, dramatically, especially because at this time, I didn't think there was that many like horrific crimes that have have occurred. And then I looked mm-hmm. at the at what year the Black Dahlia happened and I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it happened in 1933. <laughs> These L.A. detectives have seen it all. They know they're like, nah, yeah. We're good. This is fine.
1: But I do think you're... Because, yeah, when I saw the, that their mouths were cut cut like that, that was my thought, too. The Black Dahlia murders. So it's interesting how they're bringing all these things together. But, yeah, it was very, like, noir of them. They were just like, oh, dead. <laughs> like, it was Whatever. Just very in genre. Yeah.
0: Whatever. They have... Oh, they have smiling faces. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're,
1: slit, they're slit ch- throats. slit are, like, young. Their hearts young have been cut out. Young adults.
0: Yeah. Whatever. Whatever.
1: Oh. Uh, oh. So we should we translate? So the stuff written on the wall, it says, um, "You take our heart. Our heart will take yours." Is what they wrote on the wall. So then that scene ends and we move into, we transition to seeing Maria, who's the matriarch of the family, Maria Vega. And she's getting off the bus with a bunch of other brown women. And they're in like this suburb with this really like giant, beautiful, well-manicured houses. And it turns out she's a mate for a white family and the dad is a German doctor. So uh, again, and that scene just kind of gives us a little bit of insight into her life. And a little bit of it introduces the the german doctor character which is going to be really important in the series kind of in this first episode we see a little bit more about him and why he's going to be important but for now he's kind of you're kind of like all right whatever uh then the next scene uh we cut to uh, it's like a hazing scene where there Thiago's in a locker room getting changed with Lewis and like other cops and They start making fun of Tiago and telling him like a bunch of racist shit other cops do. And Louis stands up for him and tells him to back off, back off. And then we find out that the victims that we found at the L.A. River, well, we didn't, that they found at the, we didn't find them, thankfully.
0: I mean, that'd be great. The
1: victims that were found there. Cool. (laughs) Brenda's dog found them. we find out that the victims are a wealthy family from beverly hills which the way they reacted was like really big news i was just like okay but i guess that's really big and we later find out that the father so the, the one of them the man that was killed owned the company that was building the arroyo Se- seco motorway uh, and again there's this repetition like the the lieutenant is like, man, if these had been Latinos or whatever he calls them, it would have been so much easier. Why did it have to be rich white people? (laughs) And again, Diego's just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's like, damn it. Oh, we have to actually investigate this? God dang it.
1: (laughs) In the next scene, um, there's a hearing for the Arroyo Seco Motorway and the Arroyo Seco Motorway is what's going to replace their houses. So the idea is that um, all these Latino la- neighborhoods, Mexican, Mexican-American neighborhoods are going to be destroyed to build a motorway that the councilman is, councilman is pushing. And again, the, the, man that was, <clears throat> the man that was murdered, his family uh, had a role in the building of the Arroyo Se- Seco. So it's all coming together um, there. And Raul, Tiago's brother, is pissed as hell. And he's like, you know, this is, you're going to build over Velveteer Heights. Where are we supposed to go? And the councilman's like, go back to where you came from. (laughs) Which is uber racist. And I was cackling and annoyed.
0: (laughs) And also, Um, as Raul correctly points out, he's like, I was born here, you asshole. (laughs) I know, I know.
1: Just like, what do you mean, go back to Mexico? I was born in L.A. County Hospital.
0: (laughs) I was born in the Um, same hospital you were born, you asshole. (laughs) Like, that's literally what he says.
1: Yeah. So then, like, a lot of the people in the audience, like the Mexican-Mexican-American folks from Vevel Heights, they stand up and they start, like, um, tapping their feet and clapping their hands and they start singing a corrido about being thrown out of Arroyo Seco.
0: Ah, and I don't know if you, I was thinking at the time, I was like, well, maybe Orquila knows what this corrido is, because I, I wasn't sure what it was, or what, I if think, it was an actual song.
1: No, I think it was something created for the time, but I do think, I mean, yeah, corridos are kind of like um protest songs at heart, so it makes sense that they would do that.
0: Mm. Okay, that makes sense. And one other thing to point out in this scene is that we do see uh, Magda again, but she's, the secretary to the councilman or something like that and you're just like wait what and so i was confused by her and so it looks like she's trying to incite a race war is what it seems like like she's some sort of agent of chaos and so she's just like stirring stirring the pot
1: yeah and she's doing a very good job at it yeah like it takes I, her to, she, it, she does like two things and then everything's go to shit
0: yeah but i mean it's not that hard to do <laughs> Like, if I wanted to start a race war, I could probably do it myself, honestly. Right.
1: Good to know. Good to know that you're <laughs> controlling yourself and you're not going to do that.
0: No, I'm not. I'm not. You, you guys are lucky. I don't have any <laughs> motivation.
1: <laughs> um, so then the next scene, uh, Tiago. I, I've never heard Santiago be shortened as Tiago. Have you heard that before? No,
0: but I kind of like it.
1: Because usually Santiago is Chago. C H A G O, Chago.
0: Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that.
1: So I'm not sure if they did Tiago, if Tiago is a California thing, or if they did Tiago because it's easier than Chago. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I've never heard anyone's name get shortened to Tiago from Santiago, but Mm -hmm. I've never heard this nickname before.
1: Yeah. Okay. That was just an aside. So Tiago tells Luis that the face paint is Day of the Dead makeup honoring Santa Muerte who is a folk religion from peasants in Mexico. Uh, she is the angel of holy death and the one that brings dead people to heaven. So again, this is what Tiago is telling Louis. Uh, and then he says that they built religion around her and other holy angels and devils. Hmm. I have issues with
0: this. So many <laughs> issues.
1: So many We'll talk about it. Save it for the
0: end. Save it for the end.
1: I know. I'm just... <laughs> okay, there you go.
0: So I wanted to talk about this scene just because it's, it's weird. But there's a meeting in the next scene after that uh, they, there's a meet, there's a meeting between the council member, his uh, Magda, who's his secretary now, or disguised as his secretary, so, and then a Nazi. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what? And so this meeting, and it's taken, it's it takes place over this very beautiful scenic area looking over the Pacific Ocean. But this is where we find out that in this scene, we find out that Nazi Germany is somehow trying to take over LA and that apparently Hitler loves Los Angeles because it's big Mm -hmm. and they're trying to take over via freeways I was so confused by the scene I don't know if you have any better insight into it
1: I I I liked it because it did show that they were Nazi sympathizers during this time in the US right because during this time the idea was Hitler isn't a mass serial killer right like he isn't It's not about genocide. He's just creating new ideas. And some of those ideas are about race, but it's sometimes in a subtle way. And we in the U.S. agree with them. So people were agreeing with what, some of what he was saying. So it didn't seem that out there that some white people in the U.S. would be like, yeah, I side. I would side with Hitler. And him celebrating in the U.S. after his win sounds like something he would want to do, right? Like slowly tar- start to take over Um and make his master race kind of global.
0: Ah, because that's what he was saying. He was like, oh, Hitler likes Los Angeles because there's room to spread out, unlike New yeah. York. And I'm like, what? And so, I mean, I I do understand that there were a lot of Nazi sympathizers in, in the United States. I mean, basically, the Nazis took their eugenics ideas from the US. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the US created those ideas. They were like, oh. Sweet. These are some great ideas about eugenics. Like we'll 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 adopt them too. So yeah. totally understand. It's just I'll I'll talk about it more later about my problem with the Nazis, but <laughs> the Nazis in the show. I hope you have more than general one I have with a the problem Nazis. with Nazis, but I meant in the show.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um uh, but I was also a little annoyed by this and yeah, we'll come back to that. Uh so then we have that you know, secret meeting where they decide, you know, hell Hitler. Uh, and then we have a scene where Tiago asks his mom for advice on Santa Muerte because he thinks he says that his mom is a, a follower of Santa Muerte. She's part, part of that religion. And so he's like, Mom, do you know anything about brujas and black masses? And I was just like, bitch, this thing, this is not related, but all right. Uh, she says no and reminds him that La Santa Muerte is real and had marked him. So this is when we realize that um, he has a marking on his shoulder where La Santa Muerte pushed him away from the fire and saved his life when he was trying to reach for his father.
0: Oh, I was so confused by that. I was like, Mark? What?
1: yeah okay. so that's why he's like the chosen one because he was saved by la santa muerte rather than her taking him she saved him which is not what she does sort of oh. so later uh later maria uh, is standing in front of the coolest altar i have ever seen like ever it is a beautiful altar although it has pictures of wolves which i did not understand but whatever other than that really cool um uh, and it's really giant. So I always assumed, especially because the houses looked so small, but California real estate, like spaces at a premium, this has that took so much space.
0: It took up so much space. But then again, it's the 1930s. California wasn't in a housing crisis at the time. <laughs> so maybe it was okay. But it was so- huge.
1: So maybe this poor woman with four children could dedicate a whole room to Santa Muerte and it's okay.
0: No, it's probably in her kitchen or it's probably (laughs) in one of the the children's rooms.
1: (laughs) <laughs> she she sleeps by the altar. Um, okay, so she starts praying to Santa Muerte and she starts self-flagellating. So she's hitting her chest faster and harder until finally there's like a howl. The candles go off. She gets pushed back by this really strong wind and the su- Santa Muerte appears in front of her. And Santa Muerte tells her there's a prophecy, a time... Do you want to read this? Because you do a better job at
0: it. Okay, yeah. Let me do a dramatic reading. So Santa Muerte goes, There is a prophecy. A time will come when nation will battle nation, when race will devour race, and when brother will kill brother until not a soul is left.
1: (laughs) That went very Disney villain, and I like it.
0: (laughs) It was not, I was not trying to be serious. So please don't think anyone out there was trying to be serious with this. But (laughs) this is exactly what she said at the beginning. I know.
1: I'm like, don't you have more lines? Don't you have more things to say? But whatever. Okay. So then Santa Marta is all like complaining and whining and being like, there are too many dead people everywhere. Um, And every step I may, I take, I have to take care of more dead people. And my heart is too tired to care for men. And it's like, wah, wah, wah. Cry, 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 Santa. Yeah, side. let me just um, play a
0: small violin for you, Santa.
1: Yeah, and there's we just um I think last night I sent it to you or earlier today this article by Lou Flores on Remezcla about what's missing in the Santa Muerte is the heart. I highly recommend it. Uh, we I, we've shared it in our social media, but it kind of gets to this point like she's so freaking emo and so freaking whiny that this is not Santa Muerte.
0: <laughs> I it's not a well we can talk about it a little later but it isn't a power in this scene she doesn't come off as very powerful in any sort of capacity and that is who santa muerte is and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more but i wanted to just kind of go over the scene too where uh maria is becomes enraged at santa muerte yeah because in this scene she's asking her and begging her for help and maria yells you know will you sleep as the bitch of your sister conquers heaven and I was like, oh, damn, Maria, you are really going after a uh, basically a god. So <laughs> I think you need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. I get why she's angry. And but it was surprising. I thought it was a little weird and out of character that someone who worships this goddess would. I mean, she she basically blessed her with her presence alone, you know? Yeah. But anyways, Santa gets angry and kind of like gets in Maria's face and like hisses or opens her mouth in a dramatic way. I don't know. I don't remember. It was dramatic. And, and you know, and then Santa disappears. At this point, Maria rushes to go visit Tiago and tells Tiago that, you know, she that Santa's chose him and that he has to be there tomorrow to stop the bulldozers from bulldozing their neighborhood. And if he doesn't, it all ends in blood or in fire and spoiler alert it ends in that way anyways
1: <laughs> hey big spoiler <laughs> so who would have guessed brown people against cops ended bad <laughs> i
0: know right oh my god brown people standing up for their rights and the cops went after them who knew <laughs> who knew this was gonna end badly so we and I really wanted to kind of I I took the reins from Orchidia. I'm sorry, Orquidea. but I just wanted to talk about the battle because the battle is crazy. The battle is nuts.
1: I know. God, yeah, take it, take it away from me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we cut to Monday morning, uh, and we see that there is a standoff between like the cops and the community. So the community is on one side, all Latino, and then the cops and the bulldozers bulldozers on the other side, and they are both at a standstill. And Thiago decides, you know. I'm, I gotta do something about this. It's my community, he's kind of caught between two worlds, essentially. So he walks in between and walks through the ranks of the cops and starts to talk to the community and trying to make peace, trying to get them to disperse and calm down, telling them to go home uh, and tell them that, you know, you can't really stop this. So he doesn't really give him another alternative though. He's not like, oh, we gotta live to fight another day or anything, he just says, no, you gotta go home, which is stupid, but anyways we see Magda kind of walking through the cops and she's kind of whispering. She finds she's whispering in their ears and then she finds kind of like a weak cop and gets him to actually shoot the first shot, which then, you know, he kills. He ends up killing one of the people, one of the community members, and all hell breaks loose at that point, of course. Uh, So then when the chaos is going and everyone's kind of going crazy and fighting each other and cops fighting You know, community members and community members have like giant sticks and they're just beating the shit out of the cops. It was great. I love I love that part. But we see Magna sidle up to Raul and she's whispering to him in his ear. And then you can see him turn around, take out a gun that I didn't even know he had. Take out a gun. Or did he steal the gun?
1: I think he picked it up like a cop's gun.
0: Okay, well, that's what they get. That's what the cops get. You shouldn't You shouldn't bring a gun if you didn't think they were going to use it against you. So, whatever. Anyways. So, he starts shooting cops. And he starts just straight up just killing cops. And you're just like, oh my god. So, then Tiago sees this, grabs a gun from another cop on the floor, and approaches Raul. Right as Raul is about to shoot Luis, Tiago's partner. And Tiago is screaming it's dramatic he's like yelling i don't even know if he's crying at this point but he ends up shooting raul and at this point la llorona plays again just like at the start and tiago stands over raul's lifeless body and then as we pull back and as la llorona you know keeps playing the song we see the two sisters magda and sata muerte kind of just stare at each other mad dog each other amongst <laughs> the chaos And then, that's the end of the episode.
1: Yeah. I I think, so, I, I do love the way it was shot and, like, the way it ended. It started and ended in very similar tones, almost. Like, there were scenes at the beginning with the fire and here at the end with the standoff and the shooting. Like, during the standoff, everyone is standing still. So, there's tension there. And it's only Tiago that walks through them and then Magda that walks through them. So, it does a really good job of directing your eye and your attention as the tension builds. And then you have these moments of like slow motion, right? So you kind of can take a lot of the, the violence in, especially um, as uh, Tiago and Raul kind of face off. It, it slows down quite a bit. Um, yeah. So it was it is beautifully shot. Yes, for sure.
0: it's it's gorgeous. I think um, and I think they did a good job with the uh, this particular action scene you know action yeah. scenes sometimes get really chaotic and you don't know what's going on and but I was able to follow this pretty well. Yeah. And it was it
1: was painful to watch. It was really really hard. Um so I guess that gets us to what we thought about the show.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's start with our opinions and and you can start it off, so.
1: Okay. Uh so I well, I guess like I was saying already, like some scenes were really beautiful. Um the scenery was stunning. The way with Sha was stunning. The music, but I don't usually like dramas, and this is most definitely a drama with just a little bit of supernatural thrown thrown in. So, like halfway through, I was already bored. Um, it's just a lot of talking and a lot of people. Like it was, it was just people drama. I don't care. Um, and the ending just drove me crazy. Like I, you saw it coming. You saw the whole brother versus brother. You knew that it was going to be Raul and Tiago and I didn't want it to be I I was just like it was just so fucked up considering like what we're living through right now to see a Latino cop shoot another Latino who happens to be his brother to save a cop like it was just really I felt like I I had been punched like I was just like nauseous after that I'm like I don't need to see this shit I could be watching the news
0: (laughs) I could be watching the news and it'll be it'll be better
1: (laughs) Yeah, honestly, like I could be watching the news and it would be less, it it would be, I don't know. I don't need to watch it.
0: I, so this is, I like how, well, I picked up on different things than you did. So I, I didn't pick up on that at all for, for some reason. I don't know why it glossed, it glossed over me. But as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, that is messed up. I just didn't register it, but What I picked upon that I was kind of like weirded out by is what the hell is with the Nazis. So I, like, what is the point of having the Nazis in this? I understand that they had a presence at the time in California, in, in the United States in general. Like, I totally get it. They're leading up to World War II. Things are ramping up, you know. Totally get it. But I just don't understand by a storytelling point of view why they have this whole foreign power be the villain or be at least mm-hmm. one of the villains because you already have this conflict between Magda and Santa Muerte on top of that you have this kind of two like a, a whole split between like two worlds narrative that's happening with Thiago being a cop and therefore like the he's the military arm of the oppressor like he's already part of the oppressive class which is what Raul was Trying to tell him, you're like, you're a sellout, blah, blah, blah. blah." Right. That makes sense. That's, that I feel like is such a huge conflict already. And so, looking at it from a storytelling perspective, I think they're doing too much. There was, I felt like there was way too much going on in this episode. Uh, I think the people who are writing this series need to watch Watchmen (laughs) because Watchmen did such a good, amazing job on how they handled race, race and hatred and history. With, and incorporating, while incorporating a supernatural slash, you know, superhero element to everything. I think they did a really good job. And to your point, Orquídea, you know, with with the way times are now, we need something that uh, has been termed hope punk or hope, mm. you know, kind of like how you have cyberpunk and all these other like themes. Um, Hope punk is kind of what we need now more than ever. And again, Watchmen does this sort of better yeah yeah
1: and i i think bringing in the nazis kind of gives a a way out for the representation of white people during this time like they weren't racist enough they needed to bring in nazis it's like no they could have this race war could have happened without that context.
0: yeah the the kindling
1: so that's the thing yeah
0: yeah, it's it's too much. And you're right, that's that's what was bothering me. I couldn't put words to it, but you summed it up really nicely. Thank you for reading my mind. Um <laughs> I try and making sense of it because I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so let's th- I
1: think we can think a little bit about like before we go into the analysis, think about like the historical context and all this to say like we know it's fiction <laughs> obviously. <laughs> But it's still important to consider like the historical context that they're borrowing from. So kind of thinking about what LA looked like in the 20s and 30s and how that maybe influenced the representation. Uh, so there is an Arroyo Seco freeway, which opened up in 1940. And it was the first freeway built in the US, um, which I did not know. So that's really oh. cool. It kind of set the the tone for how freeways were built. Um, and this need for freeways was kind of started off with this one um so i we found this really great article titled um the los angeles freeway in the history of community displacement by giovanni perez where she breaks down the importance of the freeway system and reshaping communities in the la area and how the decisions to build them were obviously connected as bad all bad things are to racism and capitalism so perez points to the boom in population in la as the driving force get it Driving, force, freeways, get it? Pun? Okay. <laughs> You're not
0: laughing. No, I I got it. I...
1: <laughs> um, so for changing infrastructure. Um, so primarily there was a need to connect suburbs and city centers, right? As you had this white flight from city centers. One plan was to use trains, but the um, auto lobby, so automobile lobbyists, were like, no, nah, people need cars, right? Don't use trains, <laughs> And so we use cars, we need roads. And the ones that affected by the infrastructure changes were poor working class minority communities who were easily displaced. So Perez writes, quote, city officials would many times consider areas of predominantly Mexican, African-American, Italian, Irish and Russian Jewish residents as slums. They often believed that these freeway construction projects would help eliminate them from the city landscape and simultaneously improve commerce and travel. This belief always left those without any political power at the mercy of those creating construction plans. So, end of quote. Again, very little has changed. (laughs) These areas were marked, were red tagged, right? So they were like disposable. Um, And the idea was this space isn't used well by these communities. So let's just get rid of it and build a freeway. And she talks about how the Royal Freeway didn't necessarily affect Mexican and Mexican American communities to the extent that we see on the show, but it set things for uh, it set the tone for things to come, specifically the Chavez Ravine uh, in the building of uh, the freeway there. Do you know the history of this? No, I have no vein? i
0: I have I don't know any of this. Okay,
1: so I didn't read that I know that a article. little bit about. I know a little bit about this just because there's a lot of uh, murals that come out of this. So like Chicano artists um, responding to this. Um, so uh, around the early 1950s, the government offered to buy people out around the Chavez Ravine um, and, or used eminent domain to kick them out because they wanted to build um, Elysian Park Heights there. By the ni- By 1957, people had been bought out or asked to leave or made to leave but the project fell apart so it was just like a ghost town (laughs) oh
0: my god of course
1: yeah i laugh because it's ridiculous not because it's funny (laughs) it's just ridiculous um so by 1958 this is where it gets complicated the land was sold to the owners of the dodgers who were moving from brooklyn to la and they wanted to build a stadium there the people that were still there were fighting against being evicted there were all these protests people were like no this is shitty this is a community you can't keep moving us around and kicking us out this is our land by 1959 people were evicted and thrown out Buildings were demolished. Um, there's a, a great piece on NPR by Janice Yamoka uh, that talks about this history. So it, I think it's important to talk about that freeway because it, the freeway is really at the heart of the series. Like, so that's kind of the real where the real drama is, right? The freeway, the demolishing of these communities, and the the tension that's born out of that. Yeah, um,
0: and obviously and it's so, LA. It, it's LA. Freeways are like huge.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly this is part of like la history and it's a big part of like mexican mexican-american community building right and how they get displaced um so in an interview series creator john logan talked about his fascination for the history of freeways in la which i thought was interesting like he had a map of them and everything
0: <laughs> wow <laughs> picture What that a they nerd. Showed. but i know okay yeah uh,
1: and it so uh, when he was working on the show those freeways really inspired how he built um, the drama Um, and it was so it was also really interesting to see uh, so many Latin American and Latinos included in the cast and production team so one of the co-producers is Michael Aguilar one of the writers for the series is Jose Rivera who was asked by Logan to vet the scripts um, Rivera states in an inter- interview that, quote, I was very careful to make sure that the details of the emotional life of those people rang true and didn't succumb to any kind of exoticism or strange tourist like view of Latin culture. Um, the first episode, the one we're talking about, was directed by ba- Paco Cabezas, who's a director from Spain. So there's a lot of like interesting connections uh, and really interesting tidbits going on there.
0: Hmm. And did you feel like that? worked that he that there wasn't that the episode didn't succumb to the exoticism or or tourist-like view like do you agree with that quote
1: I'm not yeah I I do think that the Latino culture isn't seen as exotic I just don't know how accurate it's represented which is different
0: no that makes sense and I wanted to kind of get into the meat of the episode then the reason why we're reviewing it which is obviously the queen bee santa muerte not beyonce but santa muerte so (laughs) (laughs) la santa muerte and we've talked about this in our two-part episode previously but let's review la santa muerte is the saint of death she is venerated by communities all over the world but primarily in mexico and by latinx people in the u.s so she is treated much like a any other Catholic saint would be treated. You pray to her, you ask for favors, and you make promises, etc. The big thing that we discussed in our previous episodes is that people did worship Santa Muerte in the early, 20, early 20th century. However, this was fairly rare, and most of her worshipers spike and grow around the 60s. And she really wasn't publicly worshiped until the 90s. So, particularly with Enriqueta. Romero Romero, which yes, she has two last names, that's correct. Public altar in Tepito that opened in nineteen ninety seven, so pretty late in the nineties. What we see in the show is actually very, very unlikely. And again, if you want to know more about Santa Muerte in detail and her history, please listen to our previous episodes on her And I would definitely say we're fans. Microsoft but is I, yeah, I'm yeah. also kind of excited to see what your because take. Okay. on the mythology here is, Orquidia. like what do you think, was it, how accurate was it, all yeah. that sort of thing.
1: So uh, I was not a fan of the representation of the Santa Muerte, uh, not even a little bit, uh, even though she looked really cool, that was not what I've grown up knowing uh, and being attached to, As so I felt like personally offended. <laughs> I think okay, so the first thing, Santa Muerte and Dia de los Muertos are not the same freaking thing. That's really
0: important. Yeah, I was very confused by that. I, I thought the the corpses looked cool and their makeup was cool. I just didn't understand how they were connected. Yeah. So even
1: if we put aside for now, just for now, the fact that Mexican and Mexican Americans in the US did not really know or follow La Santa Muerte in that way in the twenties and thirties, just like you talked historically, like there's no no way. Uh, Or at least there's no documentation of that. Put that aside, it drives me crazy when people conflate Day of the Dead with Santa Muerte. Like, we've done an episode on Day of the Dead, too, that people can listen to. (laughs) Um, So Day of the Dead is a two-day celebration held in many Latin American countries and by Latinos in the U.S., there, you, there is a use of skeletons and skulls and, like, decorations. Uh, most famously, you have the catrina, so it's, like, the skeleton with the giant hat, like, very, that looks very regal. And that was introduced in the late 1800s. Uh, most people know it as a creation of José Guadalupe Posada, a printmaker. And it was a, a way to kind of mock the bureaucracy, uh, no, the... What is it called? The, the upper class. It was a way to mock the wealthy. And a lot of these skeletons and skulls are kind of funny, um, because it's a way to to mock death and a way to kind of deal with death. Um, so again, even though the images of skull skeletons and the female skeleton like Katrina are so common for the holiday and like that's the way we think about it, that doesn't mean it's a celebration for a saint which is what Santa Muerte is, right? She's a saint. It's a celebration of people that have passed away and of communities, and it's a moment of remembrance. So it's not really a celebration of death as much as a celebration and a remembering of ancestors. So These are different things. Yes. <laughs> I was so annoyed, as you can probably tell.
0: <laughs> yeah, you were really holding back during the episode recap. I could see it in your face, the <laughs> rage meter going up. I was like, damn, she's mad she's about to like just beat people up no i'm just kidding dude no (laughs) as close as you look like i don't anger easily
1: and i know that media representations of things like this are always going to be different from what we grow up with because mythology and folklore changes all the time that's it's that's its nature but this this is big um So like conflating Day of the Dead and Santa Muerte, that's a big no-no, they're not the same. Uh, So Santa Muerte may look like La Catrina, not really, just the fact that they're both female skeletons. They don't really look the same, but they have a very different history. So people worship La Santa Muerte, like you would worship the Virgin Mary, like you would worship any other deity, any other saint. Um, So you light candles for them, you offer gifts in exchange for favors. And she's a representation of our own mortality, uh, a reminder that the only thing we know for sure is that death is coming and she is above all just, right? Like death doesn't pick favorites. Death is death. And there's some justice and truth in that. So that's why people follow her. That's why people worship her. That is not the same as La Catrina. Um, What else? Oh, God. La Llorona. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, the song. The song. So what what, what made you so mad about the song? Because I love that song. That's a great song. I
1: love that song. It's such a good song. But why does everything about Latinos have to have that song? Like, Coco had it. I feel like if there's ever a Latino involved, they play La Llorona.
0: Well, they should play No Te Metes Con mi. Oh, my God. (laughs) If they... That's what they should be playing. (laughs) Or se me sube el cholesterol. Have you heard that one? The cholesterol one? What
1: is the cholesterol? It's such a good song. It's such a good song. Oh my God, I have to send it to you. So the guy has high cholesterol, and the wife is like, dude, why are you not eating all this food I'm making for you? And it's all like, you know, puerco and stuff. He's like, I love your food. I really want to eat those tortillas, but man, my cholesterol just keeps going up and off. I can't do it.
0: that's what they should be playing should you're be so playing. right you're so right but i i i like the the
1: Yorona song it's a great song I, I i wish they would have stuck with one mythology and really done their research like these are all different women with different stories it just felt lazy that they were all conflated and the representation of santa is so lazy she's not powerful she's not strong She wouldn't do that shit to people of color, I would like to think. Like, she wouldn't stand aside as they suffered like that. Um, So, yeah, that was my issue
0: with it. Yeah, no, and and of course, yeah, she would, she's she's so weak in this. It's so weird. It was very strange to see a a very whiny version of Santa Muerte. And also, why did she call Maria Coyote? There was one part where she called her Coyote.
1: I think, and I think they're probably going to bring it back to the fact that Maria was probably uh, moving people across the border.
0: Oh, that's why they call it a coyote. That's been my, always my dream career. Good to know. I don't think you should say that in
1: any public way.
0: (laughs) But like a good coyote, like it sounds like Maria was a good, is a good person. So I assume her helping people across the border was good. That's what I wanted to do is like, I was like, oh man, if I could help people and, like, help them escape, like, poverty and, and, and violence and stuff. That's what I would do. But I wouldn't do it, like, for money. Yeah. You know what I mean? You'd do it for Because coyotes aren't good. <laughs> I would do it, for pa- obviously, for power. Uh, that's a given. Yeah. But I would also do it out of the kindness of my heart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, oh,
0: my gosh. But, go No, ahead. I was
1: just, I'm thinking if there's anything else I want to rant on. But I think I've ranted enough. And I guess the question is, would you watch the episode again? Or would you watch the series? What do you think?
0: So would I keep going, essentially? So these are our final opinions. Uh, In my opinion, I, again, just reiterating what you said, I like the imagery. I appreciate the attempt at including Latinx stories and folklore and mythology. It was so exciting to see that Mm -hmm. and to see it in such a huge way with such a huge series. For that, I commend it. I highly commend it. However, I don't think I would watch it again. Only because I think from a narrative storytelling perspective, not even, you know, removing the whole folklore, mythology, misrepresentation. I think if they had a more streamlined narrative, I think I would keep watching it. Again, it just feels like it's too much. They threw too much into the series. And I and I don't know if the other Penny Dreadfuls are like this. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But I do like that, that it was a, a, a cool risk. It was just a risk that I don't think... They were able to really pull off because of the storytelling. Yeah,
1: I, I think I think you're right. Like, it, it is really cool that they're making these stories like more readily available. Like people are going to be talking about Santa Muerte now. Like, you know, like they're going to be talking about the history of the freeways. Like these are the conversations people are going to have. And that's really important. I would not watch it. So I read some of the summaries for the next uh, episodes and it is depressing as fuck and I cannot handle that like episode four has a rape scene
0: yes I read that and in that alone I was just like yeah I just I don't want to deal with that crap I want something I want a warm blanket that is gonna cover me up and shield me from the rest of the world I don't need depressing ass crap at this moment when the entire world is on fire right
1: now like i can't i can't watch people of color suffer and struggle and be victimized at the hands of myths at the hands of the folklore that they're supposed to be helped by you know like even in this fictional world we're given the shit hand and i i I can't deal with that i'm not gonna (laughs) i want to watch pretty things
0: yeah, I want to see movies. funny things. And so I think, yeah, let's watch a horror movie. Uh no, I think I think they probably are ramping up to that and that at the end I'm guessing, you know, Santa Muerte is going to wake up and there's going to be a victory or blah blah. blah. I just don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to keep watching depressing stuff and it, that's my opinion. Yeah.
1: I I don't know. I'm not super hopeful about that because in an interview the creator Logan said it's called Penny Dreadful for a reason.
0: Oh, for God's sakes, really?
1: So I'm just like, nah, y'all keep your drama.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, that's it, right? That's it. (laughs) So thank you for listening, everyone. That's the end of our episode. Uh, If you want to please continue supporting us, Uh, we would love to hear from you. What did you think about this episode? If you've seen it, we would love to hear back. uh, uh, And you can also talk to us about it on our social media. So you can follow us on Twitter at Monstras Podcast, or email us at monstraspodcast at gmail.com. Also, we have, oh my god, I forgot to announce that we have a website.
1: Amazing website that you put together. Thank you.
0: Oh yeah, no worries. I love, I love Photoshop. I learned Photoshop via anime and my love for anime. So thank you 14-year-old Brenda for learning that. But (laughs) that helped in building this website. So please check out our website. It's just Monstras Podcasts.com. I will put it in the description notes for this episode. So please check it out. Uh, and also, there is a section there where you can actually leave your uh, stories. So if you have stories about monsters, creatures, or legends, and you want us to cover that, you want us to cover, let us know. Uh, and finally, subscribe. Subscribe to our podcast. Keep supporting us that way. Uh, and leave us a review as well. So let us know what you think of what we're doing. So anyways, that's it. Enjoy. Keep praying to Santa Muerte. Hopefully she doesn't come and mess with you, I guess, or mark you somehow. I Hopefully don't
1: know. she doesn't hate our review. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyways, see you guys later. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.